यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट Hello and welcome to our continuing special series on Mint ahead of the budget. As the union budget begins to take a definitive shape and form, this perhaps is the single biggest question and challenge ahead of the finance minister as she stands to present her budget. How will she deal with what looks like an escalating fiscal deficit situation while also working around a struggling and covid-ravaged economy? Can she put in measures both to attempt to hemorrhage the situation on the fiscal deficit or should she let it go altogether at the altar of growth and perhaps much smarter recovery for a country like India? That's the central question we're debating on today's discussion and joining me to talk about that is a blue-blooded panel to put it mildly. Let me introduce all of them Dr Montik Singh Aluwalia former deputy chairman planning commission Dr Shankar Acharya who's former chief economic advisor at the government of India and Sajid Chinoy chief India economist at JP Morgan gentlemen welcome to all of you thank you and welcome to the show where we're trying to put into context what looks like a singular challenge for the finance minister because there's um, an an ocean of information really around this subject what we wanted to do is really drill it down in this conversation to three key areas that we should look at ahead of the budget one how large is the fiscal deficit two what kind of urgent reforms or ur- urgent spends are required for which the fiscal might actually be uh, challenged and th- what can be done to remedy the situation given what's happening in the overall economy so let me just launch straight into it uh sajid first word with you where i want to take a couple of steps back as we usually do when we talk about what to expect from this budget the budgeted target on the fiscal deficit you know pre covid was 3.5% that was then revised to 3.8 there was a point of time around april 2020 where we had already touched 4.6% and it looked like we were breaching the frbm as well given everything that's gone down in 2020 what are your own estimates now uh, sajid in terms of what the fiscal deficit could look like uh, thanks mitali good to be here you know that was the pre covid world i think of this as the post covid world where fiscal rules fiscal math debt to gdp around the world has seen a sea change uh, what we're working with is actually a fiscal deficit number and, and this is more from a financing perspective because we know how much the government has uh, is borrowing and, and what the cash balances may be at the end of the year is a center deficit of about 7 or 7.2% of gdp uh, of course states which were closer to 2.6% may end up uh, closer to between 4 and 4 and a half percent so you're really looking at a consolidated on on budget balance uh, on ba- budget on balance sheet budget of about 11.5% of gdp now you have to add to this some of the off balance sheet uh, liabilities the finance minister made an important start last year by declaring those extra budgetary resources of close to 1% so the total public sector borrowing requirement may well be closer to about 13.5% of gdp and that is a large number but i think mithali uh, the central challenge is going to be that yes on the one hand we have to have a credible medium term fiscal consolidation path uh, uh debt was the anchor that we had chosen before covid debt to gdp will be about 85% of gdp yeah. that's high but remember global debt to gdp this year the imf estimates will be closer to 100 and i think the challenge is going to be 
how does one design a set of fiscal rules in the medium term that gradually brings debt to GDP down? We know that a sufficient condition for debt unsustainability is a rising debt to GDP ratio, and therefore a necessary condition for sustainability is a declining debt to GDP ratio. I think if there's an institutional framework and we, we have a credible path that brings debt to GDP down, foreign investors, rating agencies will be okay with that given the state of the world. But the challenge will be how do you do that in the medium term while still imparting an expansionary fiscal impulse in the very near term? And I say that because we're seeing a smart recovery, but this is an incipient recovery. Uh, this may not be sustainable uh, without more help from government spending. And so that's the central challenge this year. How do you increase expenditure, expenditure to GDP over the next year or two and still have a declining headline fiscal deficit uh, uh, ratio over the coming years? Mm. Dr. Aluwalia, when you and I spoke a couple of weeks back, you had uh, set that target at between 12 to 14 percent in terms of what the fiscal deficit could look like. Do you think uh, that's where it'll stay at or do you do you fear it might get any worse when we finally get to the speech and we hear what the details are? That was, I think, uh, the reference then was to the consolidated deficit, center yeah. and states. That's not so different uh, from what uh, Sajid has said. Actually, I get most of my assessments of what it's going to be from what he writes. So don't be too, if you're, if you're looking for discrepancies between what I say and what Sajid says, it's because I looked at his stuff earlier. But broadly, I think uh, it's true. It's going to be large. You know, to me, uh, the most important thing uh, is not to, to worry about what the FRBM said. I mean, the FRBM has become utterly irrelevant. Uh, and that's not just true in India, it's true everywhere. I think the key issue is, is this the time to come clean? I would very earnestly uh, suggest that this is the best time in the world for the finance ministers to say that, look, nobody in his right mind would expect me to stick to 3.5% uh, if you've had a huge decline in GDP, complete loss of revenues, etc. There's another factor, which is that there have been lots of off-budget off uh, sources of finance, which even the CAG has uh, uh, sort of complained about. And therefore, in the budget, as far as the central fiscal deficit is concerned, come clean and say what it is. I think Sajid said something like six plus, uh, six and a half, to which you have to add some of the off-budget stuff. So it could very easily come up to between seven and eight percent. Uh, for uh, for the center alone. And then, of course, there's the states that you have to add on. You know, one very important point, which we must keep in mind, is that in the latest CSO numbers that have been put out, which uh, talk about 7.7% uh, contraction in the current year, following about 15 plus contraction in the first half and sort of a zero contraction in the second half, averaging it out somewhere around 7.7. One of the key assumptions being made is a huge increase in government consumption expenditure. Okay? Yeah. But we know that from uh, the figures up to October don't show that. So yeah. as a matter of fact, all these references that the fiscal deficit in October was so much above BE is all irrelevant. If you want to limit the contraction to 7.7%, that implies an expenditure boost in the rest of the current year, okay? And the finance minister in her own statements had said she was going to spend uh, without too much regard 
to what it might do to the fiscal deficit in the current year. I think that's correct. So I have, we have to see what the budget numbers come out at. You know, a lot of the problem with containing expenditure in our system is you just don't pay your bills. It's not that you've actually uh, reduced expenditure. You just don't pay your bills because you've <clears throat> come around to the view that declaring a smaller volume of expenditure, which translates into a smaller fiscal deficit, is somehow good. I think that's no longer true. I mean, everybody knows uh, that this is uh, this is just uh, leisure demand, and therefore this is the time to come out and say, look, this is what the deficit is, and now let's focus on the next year. Now, she can certainly show a huge improvement next year. I mean, for the simple reason that there'll be a big bounce back on revenue. Yeah. It may not be enough. I mean, you may have to do something more. And my guess is that there are things she can do on the tax front, not just she herself or the budget, but for example, the GST council. I mean, to my mind, the most sensible revenue thing to do in the current year is to implement the GST reform that everybody has talked about. Now, that can't be done in the budget, but she could say that she's going to take it to the GST yeah. council, do a massive simplification of GST rates, and do what all the experts are saying uh, would be the way to get more revenues. And in addition to that, of course, there's asset sales. Uh, and yeah. those are the only two options she has for the next year. But yeah. in my view, if you come clean on the current year, you will certainly be able to say that the next year is a lot better. Now. What you can say on the medium term, she doesn't have to say in the budget, because that's in any case something that evolves over time. Hmm. There's there's a lot uh, of, of what you just raised, and I want to take it point by point. But Dr. Acharya, I want to roll this back to you with the first part of what Dr. Aluwale was alluding to, which is whether or not you think this is time to sort of reconsider, you know, the FRBM itself, reconsider targets. The NK panel, the NK Singh panel has put out, you know, recommendations of its own. Is it time to start considering, you know, other alternatives, looking at debt to GDP as the primary target for fiscal policy, saying, hey, we're setting out a new glide path for us. It's a new start. Here it is. This is how bad it is. But here's how we're determined to make it better. Uh, Mitali, my view would be uh, rather similar to what uh, Montek has just said, that, uh, um, you know, don't get too worried about what the existing FRBM uh, legislation is saying. Everybody knows that those things will not be met. And uh, don't get too hung up on uh, how precisely you're going to formulate uh, uh, the, the, the glide path uh, uh, going out, um, I think the focus should be is uh, much more. I mean, you should clearly give the intention that yes, we have a very large deficit this year for good reason, let's say. Okay, let's be clear on that. It's for good reason, partly unavoidable. You had a collapse in revenue in the first half, particularly, and partly perhaps good because that's what an automatic stabilizer does. Uh, expenditures stay sticky just as well, and when you have revenue collapse. Essentially, you have a large fiscal deficit. And that's why, you know, I've always felt throughout the, this year, you know, all the discussions, that all this uh, wanting more fiscal stimulus was a little bit meaningless, uh, or shall we say, overdone, if not meaningless, because you were getting a huge fiscal stimulus from rising fiscal deficits, essentially out of what's called the automatic stabilizer of uh, uh, the deficit rising because revenues are collapsing. So the broad pattern is very clear. You're going to have a very large deficit essentially because of a revenue collapse. 
not because of ma massive changes on the expenditure side. And next year, going forward, you're going to similarly get a huge recovery in revenues. And just to give you a little, and this sort of adds to what's been said rather than repeat what's been said, you know, give you a, some sense of, uh, I think, the order of magnitude increase you might get without discretionary tax measures or expenditure measures would be, in my view, around 15, 16% very easily. And let me explain how that I, I come to that judgment. Essentially, uh, because you you will have, you, you have, uh, if you accept the the uh, estimates or projections made in the advance, the first advance estimates, by the way, that's what these are, then as Monte clarified, you have a situation where in the first half of the year, GDP came down by about somewhere 15% plus. Uh, uh, and in the second half of the year, compared to a year ago, it's going to be about the same as it was a year ago, that is zero. And for the uh, taking the year as a whole, you're getting, as a result, uh, in these estimates, 7.7%. Now, if we don't get the kind of expenditure stimulus or various other factors that one can think of, we might have uh, slightly uh, 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 larger decline in GDP, but I, I wouldn't worry about that. That's now all baked in the cake. It'll, it'll be what it will be. But the point here is that next year, because of your low base of GDP uh, in the first half of the year, particularly, you know, down 15 plus percent, you are automatically going to get uh, an increase, provided you come back to uh, last year's level in the second half or near that. Uh, then anything, as long as you stay even flat, and if you mm. if that grows, level grows of GDP, then it'll be even more cream, if you like. But if it stays flat, you still get a straightaway, a sort of uh, something like an 8 9% in increase in real terms in GDP next year. And possibly you'll get a little extra growth because the level will go up next year rather than stay flat at... Uh, this the second half of this year. So you could easily get, you know, 10, 11% even. So anywhere between the end of 8 to 11% real growth is what I would be looking for next year without sort of doing further policy changes of any major kind. And add on the inflation. Now we can, this is where policy does matter as to how you're going to finance deficit, et cetera, et cetera. But my thought would be that, uh, uh, you know, even if you take a sort of medium uh, projection, and which I think the RBI would go along even, something like 6% nominal increase, 6% uh, 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 inflation uh, as measured by the GDP deflator, you get uh, then uh, something like a 15 to 16% increase in nominal GDP straight away. Now that gives you with sort of a, what a usual assumption is that revenues should grow at least at that, unit elasticity of revenue to GDP. So you get a 15, 16% increase next year. And I, my own view would be that the effort should be to use quite a lot of that increase to bring down uh, the center's fiscal deficit from somewhere as Montek and Sajid seem to say, the, the clean deficit, the cleaned up deficit with uh, off budget and all tucked in, um, from somewhere between seven to 8% of GDP is what I would be looking for if the cleanup has been done 
and perhaps 6 to 7% of GDP if the cleanup hasn't been done. Let's assume the cleanup is done because, as Montig said, it's a great opportunity for transparency. Um, so from 7 to 8%, I think we should be thinking of a target of about 5% uh, cleaned up deficit next year, which, by the way, is roughly what it has been last year and the two years before that, if you take into account the CAG comments and all those things. And think of it as a clean deficit and not the so-called shown deficit of three, three and a half and all that. So that's what I'm saying one should do and leave further consolidation for later. And maybe you give a glide path and maybe you don't. I don't think that's going to be policy wise in the short run that important. Uh, I think the direction should be clear. That's important mm -hmm. for uh, uh, credibility. But I think getting to 5% will be A, feasible, not difficult, and B, desirable. Because if you don't do that, you leave this large debt growing sharply in the succeed, succeeding year as well. And that will strain the credibility, not just of our creditors, but it will bring into question all sorts of other things, including the ability to manage inflation credibly without doing effectively much more um, uh, uh, RBI financing of the def deficit indirectly, and that's the real danger. So I think our worry should be that bring down, or our concern should be to bring down the fiscal deficit to something like 5% of GDP on a clean basis. It'll still require a fair amount of financing, uh, but that should not be a problem. It should keep the um, uh, government debt to GDP ratio in the 85% to 90% range, which will probably end up this year anyway. But importantly, it won't lead to a massive increase in that. And I think that is important. And the uh, okay. uh, degree of financing that's required will be get basically allow your borrowing program to be in more, much more reasonable territory uh, in the next okay. year and will not create uh, this sort of uh, massive liquidity expansion that we have seen. This year, that's been fine because your yeah. output levels have been so low. But next year, I think you'll see much more spillover into inflation if you try and, if you do, if you say, man, manage to only reduce to six, six and a half percent of GDP from something like eight percent at the central level. Okay, so let me just, uh, you know, stop you there and uh, pivot this conversation. There seems to be agreement about the fact that we need a cleaner sort of coming out in terms of what the genuine situation of the FISC is, as also not being overly worried about what the fiscal deficit figure might look like. Uh, Sajid, you know, I'm going to turn to you in terms of what your own targets of growth are. And I have, you know, three key numbers, which I'd like to hear what you want to hear or expect to hear from the budget, given that growth target you may have set. One is what you expect to hear in terms of the overall level of government expenditure, the capital expenditure, you know, what figure you expect to see there, and of course, uh, the fiscal deficit, which you've mentioned already. So what is your growth target and what are you penciling in over there in terms of government expenditure and capital expenditure? Uh, thanks, Mithali. So we actually are a little bit more hopeful than the NSO's first estimate because that was based on uh, uh, patterns till October. And two things have changed since then. One is you've actually seen since November a big pickup in government spending. So the November number was 50% higher than the previous November. December, we don't have the number, but if you look at the liquidity patterns, it's another strong uh, month of government spending. So it's good to see this seems to be a conscious change in the strategy. 
that for the next six months, there will be stronger government spending, in particular capital expenditure. That and the fact that, you know, India has more successfully broken the link between virus proliferation and mobility uh, than other countries. And you're seeing that the private sector activity levels are pretty much back to 98, 99%. So put those together and we think growth this year could contract around six and a half percent which is shallower than the NSO's number. And next year, we actually think of that depressed base, growth could go up to about 12%. But however, it's really important to put these numbers in perspective. What does it mean to contract 6.5% this year and grow 12% on that base? Ultimately, we have to compare this to how complete a recovery is this? Where will the level of output be eight quarters from now vis-a-vis what we had penciled in pre-COVID? That's the, your best measure of how complete a recovery India is making. So far, only China was really making a complete recovery by coming back to its pre-pandemic path six quarters from now. Now we believe the U.S. as well will come back to its pre-pandemic path in 2022 because we've seen massive fiscal stimulus. And we now expect with the Georgia result another $900 billion of stimulus in the coming months. So even if India were to grow 12% next year, uh, you know, six quarters out, uh, the level of output will still be about four to five percent below a pre-pandemic path. And that pre-pandemic path was conservatively assessed, assuming growth about five and a half percent before COVID. So we still have a lot of catching up to do. And my fear is we should not make a type two error. I think the type one error was perhaps we didn't consolidate uh, fast enough after the global financial crisis because the economy was doing well, we bounced back rapidly and the fiscal deficits took a while to come back to normal. Here, the risk is we make a type two error, we consolidate too quickly uh, and we choke off an incipient recovery because our sense is that there's a lot of slack in the economy, there's been a fair amount of labor market scarring. What you're seeing in these two quarters is some of it is pent up demand, some of this is a sugar rush. You know, you're seeing a very bifurcated recovery. The upper end of the income spectrum has done very well. Their incomes have been protected. They've been working from home. They've been forced into saving in the last few quarters. So there's more fuel in the tank, so to speak, for consumption in the coming quarters. And you're seeing that consumption being expressed. But the bottom 30% who have seen their incomes scarred or their jobs lost, that recurring lingering effect will only show up some quarters out. And I think, therefore, it's really important uh, um, that we don't, while it, I think it's important to bring the deficit down, I think we shouldn't be uh, you know, too aggressive in the nature of the consolidation. And I think I just want to reiterate the important point that Acharya made, and I'll answer your question in a second, is if you, if you look at this as a share of GDP, what you will see is even before the COVID year, gross taxes to GDP had fallen by a percentage point before COVID. And we're seeing they've fallen by another percentage point in the COVID year, if you net out the excise duties, those excise duties for higher excise duties on petroleum and diesel have added, you know, 0.7% of GDP, which masks how much the other taxes have fallen. My short point is, if the economy recovers over the next couple of years, which we expect, you know, just the regular tax buoyancy in the next 24 months could add almost 2% of GDP in gross taxes to take us back to where we were in 2000, uh, you know, 17, 18. And my own preference is we use that natural buoyancy as a consolidation over the next two years. And the discretionary component of fiscal stimulus, which I define to be expenditure to GDP, uh, which has actually grown, we, we expect will grow one and a half percent of GDP this year. I actually think we should protect that next year and possibly even increase that. 
So we think central government expenditure will end up closer to about 14.7. This year it was 13.2 last year. And the, uh, the endeavor next year should perhaps raise that by another half a percent or so. How do you pay for that? In my view, perhaps the easiest in this global environment where you've got so much buoyancy on asset markets is to conduct an aggressive asset sales program in the next two or three years. So you use the asset sales revenue to finance higher infrastructure. Uh, and in a way, this is, uh, you know, uh, think of this as a swap on the public sector balance sheet where you're disinvesting or doing strategic sales of less productive uh, public sector assets. And you're using that to make needed investments in health, education, physical infrastructure. So use it, use the asset sales to increase expenditure and use the automatic stabilizers in terms of higher taxes to GDP, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, con to control the deficit uh, in the next two years. One last point I'll make this, you know, some misconception globally. Olivia Blanchard keeps making this point that, you know, as long as um, uh, nominal growth is higher than your rate of borrowing, uh, debt to GDP automatically comes down and the intertemporal budget constraint uh, uh, you know, is, 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 is sustainable. Uh, but just to add, that is true of developed markets because their primary deficits were actually very low. India will end up with a primary deficit of you know, about seven or seven and a half percent of GDP across the center and states at the end of the COVID year. So we can't completely ignore consolidation because the difference between higher nominal GDP growth and the rate of borrowing will not be enough to bring debt to GDP gradually down without some deficit consolidation. So to summarize, you know, I think perhaps the cleanest approach is uh, increase expenditures financed by asset sales, use the higher tax revenues and the excise duties that you've got to gradually bring headline deficits down, because this mm -hmm. is still going to be a, a an incomplete recovery, less incomplete than we worried about three months ago, but still an incomplete recovery in that we're not back on the pre-COVID path even six or eight quarters from now. Are you confident though, Sajid, of extremely high government expenditure coming through? I mean, part of what you were mentioning about the surge is also that it's back-ended, right? I mean, there was budgeted expenditure. There was a lot left off to spend in the last four months, which it seems the government is doing because they've, uh, you know, uh, lifted up some of the caps in terms of expenditure on ministries. As Dr. Acharya was pointing out, there was some dismay when the actual fiscal outgo, you know, happened through the pandemic and it looked extremely low. Uh, what makes you confident that the government government is this time ready to sort of use up all the gunpowder it has and not remain restrained, as has been the case through all of 2020? Well, uh, you know, uh, Mithal, you can never say this. I'm only going by uh, the two months of data that we have, which show a conscious change in strategy in November and December and, and the comments of the finance minister. Uh, they, listen, infrastructure spending is also not easy. Is There's no one better than uh, Dr. Aluwalia and Dr. Acharya to tell us that there are sometimes, you know, uh, implementation bottlenecks, uh, last mile problems, uh, absorptive capacity constraints. So uh, this is not going to be easy. But I'm, I'm simply saying that this is, you know, once in a hundred year crisis. And uh, the key is if, if that to, to, I think, to nurture and stoke this recovery, we will need public investment over the next three years. Because look at the other elements of aggregate demand. Uh, consumption had begun to slow even before COVID to the extent that there's been an income hit uh, to some parts of uh, society, I don't think we should expect consumption to bounce back sustainably. Um, um, exports will be choppy. Yes, the global economy will do better, but we've seen more protectionism. So we can't entirely bank on you know double-digit export growth over the next year or two. And private investment utilization rates 
have been below 70% for two yeah. quarters before covid this was the first time this has happened since the rbi began the survey in 2007-8 so private investment which is ultimately what we need for a virtuous growth cycle is not going to pick up without some final end demand so if consumption is not firing and exports are not firing and utilization levels don't pick up we won't see sustained private investment which is why in my view we need public investment to drive growth over the next 12 or 24 months this will boost aggregate demand it's labor intensive so it helps with the labor market scarring it will crowd in private investment and it makes us a more competitive economy uh, you know uh, uh, in the medium term uh, from an external perspective This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.